0: Hi there, and welcome back to The Chattering Hour with me, your host, Nicholas Vince. This week on The Chattering Hour, I'm delighted to be talking with our very special guest, actor, author, and producer, Stan Shaw. You may recognise Stan from films such as Rocky, Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe, Roots, The Next Generation, and many more, including some of my favourites, Jeepers Creepers 3 and The Monster Squad. We talk about those and much, much more up next on the Chattering Hour with Stan Shaw. And we're back with Stan Shaw. In his over 50-year career, Stan has worked with some of the greats in Hollywood, such as Sean Connery, James Earl Jones, Eddie Murphy, Jessica Tandy, Kathy Bates, and many more. It's an awful lot to cover, so let's get to it. Stan, lovely to yes. meet you. Lovely to it's meet you, It's my yourself. pleasure. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. It's a little windy over here, but apart from that, we're good um so i want to kind of start at the very beginning if i may where were you born and raised chicago illinois and so what was that childhood like what did you you know what was an average day
1: it it was it was pretty amazing i had a great childhood um typical playing with friends going to school um doing my homework in school so i could play when i got home Um, as I grew, um, a couple of sports. My um, my dad had a couple of nightclubs, and I'd go there and have all the barbecue potato chips and root beer I could stomach. And I used to take my friends there as well. I was the big shot, splurge potato chips and root beers for everybody. So <laughs> it was that uh, that type thing. I had a, a good number of friends, um, and I grew up and start training in martial arts when I was 12 and, um, maintaining that at the Academy of martial arts, um, Chicago. And, um, from there I started fighting in tournaments and, and winning. Um, you know, I had a good childhood. Wow. So what, what prompted you
0: to start martial arts?
1: Because I'm from the west side of Chicago, it was gang infested. My mother wouldn't let me carry a gun or a knife. So I (laughs) had to learn to defend myself. (laughs) And and when I grew up, when you left school, um, it wasn't like parents today. Uh, Like I drive my kids to school and drop them off and pick them up. In Chicago, that wasn't happening. Your parents had to work. You had to catch the bus or the L train. And you went to school with your friends or without your friends and you're on your own you had to get home the best way you could so i had to learn to protect myself and that i did right 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 so
0: did you, did you watch many films
1: as a kid oh yeah
0: what's what sort of films were you into
1: Meets the wolfman with lon chaney and uh uh bella lugosi was my favorite house on Hunted hill benson price um all those type all those genres, but those were my two favorite genres, Westerns and uh and horror films. And when I you know got in the business, I remember being at a screening of a film and all these stars were there. And uh I looked across the aisle in the center section and I saw John Russell, who was an old guy now or then. And he was my favorite when I was seven years old watching The Lawman. For Christmas, I got a lawman outfit that I uh, wore to school, actually, his gun belt and boots and hat. So I crawled over the center section of all these actors and I tapped his wife on the on the shoulder. And I said, is that is he John Russell? And she said and she lit up because everyone was ignoring him. She was like, yes, 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 it is. Him. I said, oh, my God. <laughs> I had a John Russell outfit. I had a belt. I had a gun. I had a rifle. I had his badge. And she lit up. And after it was all over and everyone was congratulating everyone, she was walking out with him by himself. And she came over and said, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. But, yeah. And another thing, I watched The Rifleman a great deal. And um, as I grew and started making films, I got to work with this character actor named um, Royal Dano, who was fantastic. Um you'd recognize him in film when I did the series with Ralph Waite called the Mississippi. He was a guest star on the show, and I saw him walking toward me, and I'm like uh, an eternal fan. If I love what you did as a kid, I love you, and I ran up to him. His grandson was with him, and I went, oh my god, you're Royal Dano, and he lit up like a Christmas tree, um, but yeah, I was, I was a big fan of, of films, and always knew i'd be on them or in them in some way or fashion so how did, so what was your first acting job in that case um i started in the chicago production of hair um the musical and from there i went to um replace a cast member in, on broadway and um i did that show for a couple of years at the Schubert theater and After that, I went on and started in the Me Nobody Knows on Broadway at the Helen Hayes Theater and um, went on the road with that. And my last Broadway performance was a show called Via Galactica, um, directed by Sir Peter Hall. And and, um, after that closed, I picked up my things, my bags and traveled and moved to Hollywood. And eventually, and I, um, not eventually, but (laughs) I began to star for a year. They wouldn't hire me because the, the hiring practices were different when I started. Uh, back then, you had to have film on you before you could be seen, and if you didn't have film on you, you couldn't be seen. And I remember um, going to several auditions one day and being frustrated. And my last audition of the day, I went to see Roger Corman's um, for a film and John Anderson and. Out of the exasperation, I just yelled at him. They said, "You have any film?" And I was fed up with that and said, "I don't have film." It was a martial arts film, and I said, "I don't have film on me." But how the hell am I going to get film on me if you don't let me do film? And I did a, a kata, which is a fighting form for him, and I turned to walk away, and he stopped me at the door and said, "Can you be ready to leave and for uh, Hong Kong and the Philippines for eleven weeks and three days?" And I angrily said, "Yes." and uh, it, that's how it started. I did a film over there with Sergio Santiago.
0: Well, and had you trained as You said you started in hair, but did you train anywhere to in acting?
1: No, no. My training was in theater. I'm um, ah, training. It's it's kind of like singing to me. You have it or you don't. I, I I don't believe in practicing what someone else teaches you their method mm. of acting and they didn't make it as an actor. Uh, I I've always been against that. Um that's my own personal thing that I have. Um I I I always thought watching other people I knew people that had masters in theater and, and um and they had classes in theater every Thursday. They would get on stage for their classmates and they would be in theater for 10 years, but they never made a film. They never did anything, but they just, they lived for being in front of their classmates and getting this teacher to praise them. Yet they never worked. I've never been a fan of that. And I, I, I saw some people, I'd go watch classes and I saw mistakes, oh, my lights went out, I'm sorry. And I saw some mistakes that that um, I did, I uh, recognized that I wouldn't have done. And um, I, uh, I, I, I remember the, the exact moment I said, he's teaching them things that he did that didn't work for him. That's why he's here teaching school. And so that got a sour taste in my mouth. I believe in performing in front of 4,000 people at night uh, with other amazing actors at your side. They gauge you, you can gauge what you're doing by their reactions and you can play with different emotions and scene and see what works really in real time rather than one person telling you this or that, because when you, when you're working that person whom you're going to every week and you're paying money for his advice, when you're doing a film, he's not there. You got another director, another producer who wants their version of what you're doing. And if you're giving them something, this guy taught you and it's not working, you got a problem. Um, and I've actually been on the set when an actor called his acting coach because the director was different and, and he got fired um, for doing that. And I went, aha. aha. so that, that was my lot. Um, wow. And uh, I, I I gathered information from actors whom I respected. Um, James Earl Jones, Anthony Hopkins, um, uh, Henry Fonda, i I. You know, I when I work with those guys, I was in their ear all the time, learning about the business, learning about the dollar value of the business, learning how much you can get, what you can ask for, what you can't ask for, and don't even think about it. So so I I got a great deal of help uh, from my co-stars and people whom I respected.
0: Right, right. Well, I mean, one of, in one of your early films is Rocky, when you were yeah. working with Sy- Sylvester Stallone. What was that experience like?
1: That was amazing. I actually, um, I remember that vividly. We had the screening of Rocky, uh, the first screening after we finished it. And um, before the film ended, he got up and went to the washroom and I went with him. It was this, he got up right after the scene where he's in his apartment and um, he kisses her and they sink to the floor. And all the women in the theater started screaming and I went to the bathroom and I said, it's like, you're going to be a huge star. And he said, you think so? And I said, Oh my God, do you see them? Did you hear them screaming about that that kiss? with Adrian, he went, yeah, it was pretty shocking. (laughs) But it was, it was a great experience. I love Sly. Um, I I know him well enough for him not to have his guards up when he talks to me. And I appreciate that. But uh, he was solid. And he's a, He's a a sharing actor to work with and um, he's uh, uncomplicated in his approach to what he does. And I appreciate him a great deal.
0: Right. Cause you, you mentioned working with Henry Funder, and I guess that's on roots the next generations. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He became uh, a friend. We became friends of each other's actually Um, roots had a like, I I don't know how big a lot was it. Um, quarter of an acre maybe and all trailers, all actors had the same mobile homes. And the word was that Henry was coming to to film the next day. And everyone was excited. And I was hurry up getting dressed so I could see him. I had no idea where they would place him. And as I'm walking out of my trailer putting on my suit and tightening up, I see this shadow come out of the trailer right next to mine. And I looked over and it was Henry. And I froze and I tried to back up and go back in the trailer. But the door swung open toward my back, and I couldn't open the door. And I was frustrated because I was I wanted to be invisible. And he said, Exc- excuse me, can you help me with this tie? And I said, yeah, uh, sure. And I started tying his bow tie. And he said, darn, the tie will never tie when you want to tie it. I remember that. And I said, yeah, uh, hi, I'm, I'm Stan Shaw. And he said, Hank Fonda. And I went, well, yeah. <laughs> I, know. And I smiled that he would have to introduce himself to me. And we talked. I tied his tie. I have a picture of that moment on my uh, page on in, um, Instagram and a little story about that that goes along with it. Um, Instagram is uh, the Stan Shaw, that uh, IG. Right. But right. you can see the, the story with Henry there. And I remember when the uh, AD came up and said, Mr. Fonda, after we were talking for a while, uh, your car is ready to take you to set, and he said, "Stan, you want a car?" I said, "No, I'm just going to walk over." And he said, "I'm going to walk over with Stan," and uh, he walked to the set with me, and we got there, and he had the uh, the prop guy put my chair next to his, and I, I sat next to him before he got ready to film. And when they called him to film, the director came over to me and said, "You can't sit here. You can't sit next to him." And I said, "What's going on?" He said, "He has a." Um, a pacemaker. And we don't want the radio mic may interfere with him. And so they moved me all the way across from him. And when he finished his scene, he came back to his chair and he was doing this, looking for me. And uh, he spotted me over there and he waved to me like this. And I came over to him. He said, what are you doing clear over there? And I said, well, they said, I can't sit next to you. Because of your pacemaker, and he said these words, old balderdash. And he told he told the uh, the uh, prop guy, bring his chair over here and sit him down. And and the director looked at me and I said, I, you know, and so I I sat next to him, and and we talked all all the all the time. And I remember doing a doing a film in. Fort Worth, Texas, called Tough Enough with Dennis Quaid. And, um, we're at Cowtown and, um, at the Cowtown palace and Peter Fonda came on location to visit Dennis. And I was in Dennis's suite talking to him and, uh, Hank wasn't doing too well. And it was the year that the Academy Awards actually went to his home and he was in bed with a full beard and they were honoring him. And, um, I told him my story with with Henry, and I said, "I um, I, I know your dad. I became and I wrote a note, anyway, for him to give to his dad." Um, and we got a call later after Henry passed away, and uh, Peter said, "I read your note to dad. He remembered you, and he smiled." Um, and that was a uh, um, we got along famously, and I appreciated his friendship.
0: Wow. Wow, wow! Well, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about um, was The Boys in Company C. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that was an extraordinary film I had not seen before today um, when I was doing my research for the show. And that was, as I say, sorry, just using the word extraordinary twice, absolutely amazing to watch. How did you get the part? Because
1: you play a Chicagoan, funnily enough. I played a Chicagoan. That was pretty amazing as well because um, the. Uh, that was funny. Sidney Fury directed that film. Mm. Um, I had starred in a film with Billy D. Williams called The Bingo Long Traveling All Stars and Motor Kings. It was Billy D. Williams, James O. Jones, Richard Pryor, and myself as the lead. And I walked into um, a casting session with Sheila Manning was the casting director, as I recall. And it, there were like 40 guys in there to read for my part. So I walked through the door and everybody hated me. And I had announced, everybody can go home. I'm getting this role. And they started cursing. The hell are you with Fuck you. Who the hell are you walking in here? And I said, I'm just I'm just telling you. And, and I went in. Sheila came and she said, Stan Shaw, you're next. And I went in to meet Sid. And I had my portfolio with me that I carried around from Broadway, and I opened it up, and he started seeing my reviews from theater. And he was saying, my God, you've done this, you've done that. And then he saw my pictures from being along. Well, he had just directed Billy D. Williams in Lady Sings the Blues. So he said, oh my God, was that you, the kid in the movie? And I said, uh, yeah. He said, okay, let's go to lunch. And we walked out of the door, and he said, Sheila, send everybody home. I got my Washington. And as we were walking out, all the guys were angry with me. And I just said, I told you guys you could go home. <laughs> and I remember uh, Forrest Whitaker was one of the guys who was, reading, who was there to audition for the role. But um, that, that was quite amazing. And we, had, we got along famously. And we uh, went to well, the Philippines um, for 12 weeks to make that film. What was the toughest part of it? Uh, the heat and, and the humidity in, in Manila and filming in the jungle. Um, they were at war in Mindanao, in the Mindanao warriors. There was this thing that was during Marcos's reign when he was president. And uh, the Mindanao warriors would, would come out of the mountains and kill people and, and run back in the mountains, political uh, people. And um, we, so we're there doing a, a fake war. And everybody, the government was trying to, you know, destroy these warriors. And, um, as, and we we're hearing about these warriors, how brave they are. They would tie different parts of their body up, um, uh, their joints, and run down and get shot six or seven times. And they wouldn't fall and they would kill somebody because they had the tourniquets all around their bodies and they would die later maybe. And so we were hearing how tough these guys were. So we were in um, Antipolo, I believe, and up in the mountains. And we're on lunch break. And this is a jungle. And the crew and everybody's getting lunch. And we've got our fake guns and this and that. And through the bushes come the Mindanao warriors that are fighting this war with real guns and mud and stuff on their face. And they're staring at us. And we're standing there, you know, the Americans making a movie. <laughs> And they stared at us and and we were like, holy shit, those are the real guys. And they were really terrific. They walked up and had lunch with us, um, ate with us, talked with us, the people who could speak English and were fascinated by how we were doing, what we were doing in the whole film thing. And after lunch, they got their weapons and they went back in the jungle and they continued to fight the government. So that was... um, that was quite an experience and, and un, uncanny and unusual for me. Um, but that was kind of tough in that we expected something from them that we'd been told, you know, by government sources, how they were like animals and all that. And they weren't. Um, they were just pissed at the policies of uh, the Marcos government at the time and tried to write it as well as, uh, as they thought it could be possible when all other resources ran out, they turned to war. And, um, you know, I, I met some, some, some terrific guys. <laughs> they were great. Uh, so that, that was my um, first venture in Manila. And then I did another film there. So I made quite a few friends.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. You see, there was I thinking you might say, "Oh, having to learn all the drill and doing this, that as being tough." But
1: yeah, no, no, that that was kind of a, a cakewalk. Um, <laughs> the, the the drills and all that, but uh, it it was interesting. It, it was different. We were the first film on on Vietnam released. Yeah. And uh, we were produced by Raymond Chow, who discovered Bruce Lee, and um, that that was interesting in itself. Getting to talk to him and share information with him about Bruce. Right. Um, um so and and we had we had a great cast but but that was my beginning that was my first leading role Mm -hmm. which uh i I embraced and i worked well with sydney um his enthusiasm was was phenomenal and you didn't i didn't work with a guy like ever like sid who he would get a scene from us and he wouldn't hold back. He would go cut. Yes. Yes. Damn it. You can't get this in Hollywood. This is real. These guys are really, yes. Did you get that? Check the gate. Check the gate. Tell me you got it. You got it. Yes. And we sit there and went, Jesus. <laughs> so when you got a guy like working like that, you try to get one of those out of him on every take. Uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't, but he would let you know when you were phenomenal, uh, as a group or, or performance from a guy. And, um, or he would say something to you and you'd say, you know, I really don't think I should be in this scene. And you talk story with him and you say, you should concentrate on them. He said, yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'll, I'll, put you, I'll let you step aside and I'll concentrate on him. But he listens as a director. And uh, that that's rare sometimes. Um, yeah, I was going to say, that's interesting. What do you look for
0: in your directors? It, it sounds to me as you've just described.
1: Well, I, I, besides intelligence... Um, I look for a director who can listen to you and who can communicate with not only the cast members, but the crew, because that whole, it takes a village to make a film is true. And, um uh, some, someone who has an eye for not a lot of directors will hire an actor because they don't have to worry about the performance. They can just concentrate on putting the film together and connecting the dots. Um, I I like a director who's involved. Um, A a director who can, um, I know Brian De Palma is another guy whom I love working with. And uh, he he has an an actor's eye. Sort of like Sid. Um, Someone who's hands-on, who discusses a scene with you, who who can keep you up to where you were in the scene three days ago. And we're going to pick up the scene here and remind an actor whether the actor needs reminding or not but reminds an actor where you were emotionally and what you're thinking about and what you were thinking about four days ago when you did the first part of the scene and you've done three days later of other stuff and now he's bringing you back to do a different thing someone who's connected and uh, someone who has no ego and he lets his film speak for, for itself. Um, someone who's not overbearing and who doesn't challenge you in terms of uh, your manhood, because some directors will yell at you and I yell back. Um, But someone who's compassionate, forthright, and someone who knows what the hell they're doing. Uh, It's because confidence uh, brings out confidence in performers. So a director sets the tone of a film and if you're a great tone setter, you'll get a great production. Or if not a great production, everybody will give you their best um, in, in terms of what they know you want or how you know you want it. And that goes to a second unit and everybody. It all starts with the director. And uh, I've worked on films where the director was jealous of the second unit director, and he wouldn't let him direct without him being there. And that's his whole job is to go do his thing while you're doing yours. So it's... it's, it's um, it's, it's a little much, but I, I respect a director who respects the uh, process of filmmaking.
0: Right. Have you ever wanted to
1: direct yourself? Uh, yeah, I've, I've written a couple of things. I, I actually wrote a screenplay, and we won um, Best Screenplay Award at the um, New York City International Horror Film Festival at Tribeca. And um, uh, I've written the novel of it, and I... I, I t- <laughs> I took it to my friend at Universal, Ron Myers, and uh, he advised me to, to do um, a novel of it. And I did the novel. He wanted to release, uh, read the pre-release of it and asked me to get it to him. So after we finished uh, putting the novel together, I took a copy up to the tower at Universal and um, gave it to them downstairs to deliver it to him. I didn't know he was going on a vacation in Europe with his family. And I got a call from his assistant who said, Ron uh, Myers is trying to get in touch with you and we don't have an address on you or a phone number. And he called me, I think he was in London. He called me at five o'clock my time in the morning and uh, said, this is fantastic. This is the best novel I've ever read. It's You did a really, 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 he said really five times, I remember that. You did a really, 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 really great job and we need to have special handling of this, and we can do this and we can do that. And I, I didn't say a word. I listened. I recorded the conversation. <laughs> and my friend said, Why aren't you talking? I'm like, listen to what he's saying. What am I gonna interrupt that for? Just I was just taking it in. Oh, you did a really, really great job, and we can do this, and la da. And uh it was it was very funny because when I went to meet with him originally, uh with my writing partner, he <laughs> said. Stan, you are my friend, and you can't pitch a film to me because you're my. I said, "Okay," so set up the meeting, and we got there at ten in the morning. And I made a big poster of of you know of the film which I saw in my mind's eye, and we had this professional poster uh, attache and pulled it out and we started. So I went there and I started pitching the film to him, <laughs> and um, it, it was pretty amazing. But basically. I I said I wanted to do the film a la Mel Gibson with The Passion of Christ Um, because Mel made a lot of money. He put his own funds in and he made a lot of money and he kept a lot of money and and profit and he shared it with his cast members and with the uh, uh, crew. So I I wanted to do that. And he said, well, you know, if we do the film, we're going to take it from you and we're going to make it like we want to make it. And I said, "Yeah, I don't want that." And he said, "Okay, I understand it, and that's why I still have my film. But I'm I'm holding on to that to to one day make it. Uh, it's oh. called Gargoyle Bob, and you can see it at gargoylebob.com.
0: All oh, right, yes, I see some some of the images. That look, and you've worked on a graphic novel version, or
1: yes, comic book. yes, we yeah. have the graphic novel coming out. Hey, oh. you've done your homework. I'm <laughs> impressed i'm impressed <laughs> thank
0: you thank you <laughs> it looks really i used to write comics years and years ago so I'm, yeah i'm wow. interested in the art form so uh yeah yeah cool all right well, that's fascinating so i look forward to hearing more about that and we'll, yeah. we'll post links and so on i wanted to take you back to another film uh, you did in the 1970s and that was the great santini with mm. robert robert duval robert duval what was
1: that experience like that was amazing. Uh, I had just finished Roots, starring Roots. And uh, we got a call. My agent got a call and called me and said, Louis John Carlino wants to meet you. He, he's written this film called The Great Santini. And he sent, she sent me the script, messengered it over to me. Then that was before uh, sending it to your cell phone. So the messenger came and brought me the actual screenplay, and I read it. And I was to go and meet him at the Formosa studios. And uh, it was pouring down raining that day. And as I was driving out, I didn't know that was him, but he was driving out as I was driving into the gate. And I looked and saw him. He saw me, but I didn't know who he was. And it was pouring raining. I pulled in. And um, I ran up to his room. I was maybe 10 minutes late. And uh, his wife was there as his assistant, and. I said, I'm Stan Shaw. I'm here to see Louis John Carlino. And they called him Luigi. And she said, Oh, I'm sorry. You just missed him. I said, uh, and just as I was leaving, he ran back in the door and he said, I'm Louis John Carlino. And I said, Oh my God, you're an amazing writer. And he said, you're an amazing actor. And I want to work with you. And I said, I want to work with you. And we shook hands and that was the deal. Um, so it started out brilliantly and we filmed in Buford, South Carolina. Um, during a hot hot summer and it was fantastic it was just an amazing adventure uh Bobby Duvall is a brilliant actor and a brilliant castmate as well but Carlino was a fascinating director I I loved his 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 eye and I had the scene where I died in the well while I was dying in the on the steps of the uh the bus with all the dogs after being shot and I said I wanted to direct the action in the cut. When I got ready to do it, and he said, What what do you want me to do? And I said, watch my finger. And when I when I do this, start the action. And when I do this, cut. So he watched my finger and I got ready and I started the action and I did my same. And I did my finger and he cut and he was so into what I was doing. he walked up to me and said, are you, are you okay? And I whispered back, did, did you get, did you get it? And he said, yes, we got it on film. And I, I was still in the character. And I said, was it okay? And he said, it was brilliant. And I said, then why are we still whispering? And he started laughing. And I started laughing and we got up and uh, and we did that scene at four in the morning, three, four in the morning. Um, so those are always challenging when you start night shoots and you shoot from seven until sunrise. And I remember actually being in my trailer and it was cold that night and wet. And uh, they came to get me at about three thirty, you know, after me dozing off and said, OK, we're ready to do the scene. So that's why I had to work my way up and I wanted to control the action and when I was ready and he was wise enough to do that and we got a gem out of it. Mm. Uh Bobby was nominated for an Oscar as well as Michael. Yeah. And um um there was a critic here on the Today show named Gene Shallot who said that I should have been nominated too, but they weren't nominating black guys back then. So <laughs> I didn't get the nomination. No. But the film was the film was brilliant and I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that is just such a
0: special experience when going back to the, the director and the, the fact that you can because those scenes are
1: hard. Yeah, you yeah. Know, but yeah, yeah. You, you have to have trust mm. with whom you're working with, and that goes both ways. The director has to trust you. You have to trust him. You have to trust your cast, um, because, um, like I said, it takes a village, and and no one person can can just do it all. And when you run into a butthead like that, it's it's really aggravating um, when they think they can control everything and they can't even control themselves. It's it's frustrating. And you don't want to get a cast or a crew frustrating because your journey is to make the film to the star and you become the frame and not to upset the balance of the story you're telling. And I'm a firm believer in once the trough is filled, we can all drink. And if the trough has holes in it, we'll all die of thirst. And I I, I, I work that way. Mm. And so when I'm a part of a production, I'm a part of a production. It's not about whom you are. I, I think once your deal is made, that selfish part is over. Now you have to go and be a part of a company that makes something that an audience can come and watch, put their hat aside and say, show me, and you show them. That's the joy of making a film.
0: Wow. Well, wow. Well, That's beautifully described. I want to bring you on to a, a, another film, and that we were talking about monsters earlier on, Monster Squad. Yeah.
1: How did you get involved in that? That was uh, an amazing journey as well. Um, that was an amazing journey as well. I... I was going to drive to San Francisco from LA. And at the last moment I had my car packed with, with things. The last moment they said, well, you stop by and see, uh, Fred Decker. Uh, they want to meet you for monster squad. So it was a hot day here, but I had a big coat and, um, and I wore my coat and with the fur thing, cause it was going to be cold. And, um, and they said, where are you going with the crisis? Well, I'm, I'm going to-, to Frisco. And they said, but we're going to do this film. And I said, well, I'm here to meet you. And if you do the film, you just call me and I'll turn around and come back. But I'm not just going to stay here and wait for you to tell me no. And um, so I- we talked and had a couple of laughs. And I turned and said, it was nice meeting you guys. Um, have a good shoot. And I got on my way to San Francisco. And just as I'm driving out, out of L.A., my phone rings. And, <laughs> and see, you need to come back for the for the Monster Squad. And I went; <coughs> those guys did this on purpose. They waited until I drove out of LA, <laughs> and they called me to come back. Um, but it was, the Monster Squad was amazing. Liam Neeson had a part in it uh, originally. We had a, a terrific cast, and the kids were amazing. Um, I, I loved the form. Of, of the film. And it was weird because I remember being at the screening and you thought it was going to be, ah, this camp thing. And a couple of us were kind of sitting in our seats like, okay, let's watch it. And the more it played, you, the more you sat up a little taller and you, well, this is kind of good. This is, and by the end of the film, we were like, this is great. You know, <laughs> and we, we really didn't feel that when we were filming it, but they put it together um, marvelously and um, it, it's become this classic and um, they did this 25th anniversary disc and I've, I've got my original Monster Squad jacket that would sell for a lot of money if I wanted to sell it but I don't and I won't unless you really offer me a lot of money <laughs> but I, I have a lot of original things from it and um, it, it plays well and people love it and I have people, you know, grown people with children that say, "Well, when I was a kid, we used to sneak and see The Monster Squad and and uh, uh, and Wolfman's got Nards and uh, uh, that whole thing." And and everyone was angry that I I died and they blew me up in the car. Everyone, everyone, they should have. I can't believe it. I went, "Well, I you should have been around when I was doing it. I could have used your support then." <laughs> But but it it was a great shoot. It was a great shoot, and all the characters were were definitely played by amazing actors. Even the kids were amazing actors. Um, the, the little girl Ashley was brilliant. Um, who who was talking about the old German scary guy um, in the vortex when she was speaking the different languages? And, um, she was brilliant. She was our Shirley Temple at the time. So. I, I I have fond memories of that. And right. um yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful film.
0: It it's it really is good fun. Another film I was going to ask you about is Harlem Nights working with Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor. And I think you said you'd already worked with Richard Pryor.
1: Pryor. Yeah, I worked I, I worked with Richard on Bingo Long and uh, we became became friends. Um and uh ooh. I remember being at a at a boxing match in Vegas and uh, Murphy was sitting in the back of me and um, I hadn't met him. Well, yeah, I met him when he first came out to Hollywood from Saturday Night Live at the uh, improv. It was a comedy place. I drove my car up, parked on the side and jumped out to run inside to see if my friend would be there. I didn't know Eddie and Eddie followed me out. He said, "Hey, hey, Hey, excuse me. I'm Eddie Murphy. What weren't you in Company C, boys in Company C? And I said, Yeah, yeah. Nice to meet you. And later, when I said, Do you remember? Do you remember chasing me and saying, Hey, hey, I'm Eddie Murphy. And did you do Company C? He said, He exaggerated. He said, Yeah, yeah. And you said, Yeah, yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I didn't say that. He said, He said, I said, I did not. I talked to you. I remember. So. uh. I got a call from uh, from Paramount, and he wanted to meet me for the part of the the fighter, and uh, uh, we talked, and I, I I liked the role, and you know Red Fox and and Richard Pryor, or forget about it, but um, I I came up with the uh, stuttering <clears throat> and the speech impediment. I gave him a lisp with his stutter, and that had never been done before, and. <laughs> I remember uh, every time I, I'd shoot my scene where I'm in the restaurant talking to them at the table, <laughs> Red Fox would be beside the camera and start, you know, and they say, action. And I'm starting my scene and you'd hear, <laughs> and I'd say, cut, cut. Come on, come on, Red, stop. And he said, why, 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 why me? Why, why are you messing with me? What about everybody else? Everybody's laughing. Why are you picking on me? And I said, Red, I'm trying to make a, a film here. Get stop. And I couldn't, I had to make them throw him off the set. Cause he kept laughing. And um, <laughs> um the uh camaraderie with the with the guys and with Della Reese was actually off the charts. And um watching her do her fight scene with Ed in the alley, um, where she where he picks up a garbage can and, and hits her was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. We were sitting outside actually watching them film the scene, and they had to do them over and over again because everybody kept busting busting out laughing. Um, but the, um, the the film turned out um, pretty pretty decent. Uh, uh, but the laughs were, were amazing. I remember walking past Red Fox's uh, trailer, and it was hot. He was in his boxer shorts. He had a screen door clothes and his his door, trailer door open. And he was cutting up fruit. And he said, Hey, hey, come here. Let me show you how to make a salad. I said, Red, what? what? He said, Come here, come here, come here, come here. And I walked in and he's sitting, he was standing up in his box of shorts and an undershirt, cutting up fruit, putting it on a bowl. And I said, Red, Red, I don't want to stand here and watch you and your drawers make fruit. And he said, Don't concentrate on the drawers, concentrate on the fruit, on the fruit, not the drawers. <laughs> He was just—he was just hilarious, and I love him. And I, I had met him earlier when I did this—the uh, show with uh, Ralph Wade in New Orleans, and he was doing a, a stand-up, and he invited us there. But it was—it was a glorious time of, of filmmaking, um, and I was indeed fortunate to be a part of the cast.
0: Yeah, yeah, and because there's was another great film that you're involved in, and that's uh, Fried Green Tomatoes. Finding yeah. Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe is how I always yes. remember it because that's what it had on the poster in the UK. That's an amazing title. Yeah.
1: How do you, how did that come about and what was the experience like? that was pretty amazing. Um that was Fanny Flagg's book. Uh, her um bestseller. I had worked with uh, John Abnett who was the director and he really he had written a part of that script but he didn't take credit but he, he he wrote a lot of that script and um i had filmed a tv show called call to glory which he was executive producer on and they wrote a character for me in that show with craig t nelson and uh and it, it got so many viewers that they created a diff another um sort of a sequel to the guest star role i did and he called me, I called my agent and wanted to meet me, not at his office, but at a pizza restaurant. And so I met him and we had pizza. And we became, we became uh, tight on that. And so when Fried Green Tomatoes came up, I got a phone call from John. And he said, hey, guess what I'm doing? I said, what? He said, I'm getting ready to play with um, Cecily Tyson, um, um, Mary Stewart and Louise, and uh, uh, and um, I'm forgetting her name now.
0: Kathy Bates?
1: Ka- uh, Kathy Bates. No, Kathy Bates. Yeah, Kathy Bates and um, Jessica Tandy. And he said, do you want to come play with us? And I said, are you kidding me? I said, what? He said, come meet me in my office. Um, and and um, I went to his office, <clears throat> and we used to play a lot. And I opened the door to his office. And he was hiding behind the door, and he tackled me. Now, we had this relationship because I was a Laker fan, and he was a big Celtic fan. And he had this huge statue or cardboard cutout of uh, Larry Bird in his office. So when he wasn't there, I snuck in and took the cardboard statue out and put one of Magic Johnson in. Um, And he was furious. Who did this? Where's Larry Bird? So Following that, I opened the door and he tackled me, complaining about I'm in the dark. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Complaining about uh, um, what I'd done with this uh, cardboard cutout. And he said, so you want to come play with us in this film or not? And I said, yeah, let's do it. And that's how I, I got that part. And um, um, I picked up a couple of pounds on that. And we had a great time. It, it's rare. That I didn't have a good time making a film, or that I had conflict with the director. Although I've had a couple of those, but it's it's been very rare in my career that that's happened, um, and and I'm thankful for that. Right, right. Because there was there was
0: another horror film that I wanted to chat with you about, um, and that is Jeepers Creepers three. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, well, that was that was well Jeepers Creepers. The original was like my favorite horror film. I remember sitting in there watching it and I enjoyed it so much. I started saying, why can I never be in a film like that? Why does everybody gets to be in the film like that? And I can't be in a film like that. And I called my agent screaming. I said, why don't I, I, want to be in a horror film. Why wasn't I? And they were shocked. And um, so I saw the second one and the same thing, and I um, I got a call from my agent, and it was on a, about another film. And they said, well, we have an interest in you for this film. And they started talking to me about the film. We're talking money, and it was decent. And they said, oh, yeah, and a little film called, and they want to meet you, but it's just a small film. And it's Jeepers Creepers 3, and I said, What? what, what did you just say? And he, I said, what, what do you mean Jeepers Creepers 3? And she said, Jeepers Creepers 3. And I said, Jeepers Creepers? Jeepers Creepers 3? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, who's doing this? Jeepers Creepers 3. And she said, I don't know. And I said, well, go see, go, go look and see if that's the same person that did the original Jeepers Creeper. And she started reading the names. And I went, she said, but we got this bigger offer. I said, no, 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 no. He wants to, I'm going to meet him. I'm going to go meet him. And um, I went and met him, and uh, I went in to read with him, and well, with the casting person, and he was there. And he said, no, I would like to read with the great Mr. Shaw. And I was so into being there until the moment that the DP was my DP on the North and the South, book three, a miniseries that I did. And I didn't even see him because I was so involved in this scene. and. I, I walked out and he wanted me to do this this part. And it was canceled. And uh, I thought it was gone. And six months later it came back up and my agent called and said, She I said, I thought that was finished. And she said, No, they're doing it and and in, um, in the city in the south. And I said, Okay, well, let's let's go. She said, But the money, I said, I don't care about the money. I want to do this film. I want and I <laughs> And I flew down and I, I met everyone and, and we did the film and I had a great time on it, but um, they didn't have all the resources to um, make it as they wanted to make it. Um, so we, we did what we did and it was released and you know it did well for the few days it was out. Um, and subsequently the, the television premiere and the um, video disc and all that sold well. But uh, I had a great time on that film. Um, And because when I got there, the first day I I saw was uh, the creeper flying. And I'd always wanted to see how they do stuff like that. He was on this giant crane swinging with his axe. And I'm taking pictures with my camera going, this is great. And and the director says, well, you're going to fight him. I said, I get to fight him? He says, yeah. And he said, all those other parts I had in the film, I canceled them and I gave you a bigger part. You're actually the lead in the film. And I said, are you kidding me? And I had just found that out when I arrived on set. It wasn't the same as when I read the script that they sent me. I was just one of a few guys. But he condensed all those roles into my role. And I was like, oh, this is great. I get to fight this guy. And he made this huge gun that weighs 300 pounds. And he drove it in on this truck. And I said, what is this? He said, this is your gun. I was like are you kidding me? I was like a kid. I was like a kid. Cause I love horror. I love horror. Horror fans are the best fans on the planet. They just, they just are. And, um, and they love you forever or they hate you forever, but it's forever is involved. in that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah.
0: I've done a few conventions with Jonathan Breck and yeah. Yeah. I know yeah. how much, um, the fans really love the Jeep. I was watching again. I was watching Jupiter's Creepers three this afternoon. I'd seen it before. Before it is, it's such a nice part, and you get to work with Meg Foster. Um, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Meg was yeah. great. Meg yeah. was great. Yeah, very scary.
0: amazing I love about Meg is she's just those piercing piercing eyes those eyes when she's looking through her hair oh my god (laughs) wonderful wonderful woman I love Meg yeah Now we're drawing to the end um, of this and the way I end this show is with a section called the luggage in the crypt Mm -hmm. where I ask my guests basically Thinking about, you know, I'm going to give you the biggest pyramid ever. Okay. For your, your final journey. What film would you take with you into your pyramid?
1: Oh, I can only take one?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh. That's so hard because I like Western and I like horror. Um, I'll give you two. Go on. I'll give you two. Okay. My favorite Western, Once Upon a Time in the West, where Henry Fonda's the bad guy, Charles Bronson. And there's this uh, haunting harmonica that's being played all the time in that. Uh, So I got to talk to Hank a lot about making that film. And ooh, my horror film, ooh. Mm. I, I, I'd have to say Jeepers Creepers, the original. Um, although I did a, a combination horror and Western film called The Pale Door, which I, I, I enjoyed. Right. Um. Uh, and at one of the um, conventions I met Rico. He's the original guy who was a creature from the Black mm-hmm. Lagoon. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting across from him at my table. And I look and I see this sign. And I said, oh, is that? And I went. No one was at his table. And it was like another John Russell moment. I'm yeah. like this kid. Yeah. So back then, you have these cards. You didn't have video. You had cards of, of the film and all the scenes. And I had this whole card collection of Creature from the Black Lagoon. And I, he was there with his daughter. He's this older guy. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, is this the guy? She said, yeah, it's my dad. I went, oh, my God, and I ran behind the table, and I'm talking to him in his ear, and he started lighting up, and he's smiling, and I said, oh, my God, I watched every, the scene where you did this, and the scene where you did, I had these cards, and I used to take them to school, and blah, 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 blah. and I told his daughter, you should put a tape recorder in front of him and just record it, he's a national... Um, monument this this guy is amazing and i said i can't believe people are not here so i went out and said hey you guys creature from the black lagoon what i mean i i just mm, um i'm such a fan of a film though that's that's who i am and i i never do the snob thing and i've seen actors that do that you know yeah, well yeah well He's okay. I'm like no, oh, he's great. He's going great,
0: <laughs> extraordinary. <laughs> I, I I've seen him at a few conventions. I I just love him. He's a really sweet guy.
1: He really is. He yeah. really is. Yeah, yeah. Well, and oh, uh, when it was over, he sent his daughter over to tell me goodbye. I I really enjoyed that. Oh, very sweet man. What about a book? What book would you take with you? Ooh. Hmm. As a man thinking.
0: As a man thinking. Thinking, yeah. I didn't know that. It's it's, it's,
1: uh, uh, by Neville. It gives you, it gives your soul something to hold on to in terms of what you're made of and how you can make things happen in your life by your thoughts. And by your spirit joining your thoughts and bringing things to fruition, bringing things to crystal clarity in you, uh, it sort of wipes away like this dark spot. It sort of it sort of wipes away fog in what's happening in your life, and it assures you or gives you assurances. Of believing in who you are in your spirit, not necessarily in your body, but in your soul. And how you can transfer spirit into action, into the world which you want to revolve around or join in its rotation and have things revolve around you as well. Um. It made me aware it was a different connection than martial arts, but also the same in that it it's centered. On. Instincts and believability. in who you are as a creative. Um, When you get in the square with somebody and you're going to fight them, no matter their size, you have to be in a certain spirit in order to beat a person. With what you've been training with all your life. And that books, that book kind of kind of help you connect to the fight you're gonna have in a world where everything is against you. And it kind of teaches you not to be against yourself, but um, to bring your spirit into the winner circle with your flesh and learn to shift gears when need be, slow down when need be, into cruise when need be. Um, so that was a very important book to me, wow. especially in the business that, I, that mm. I'm in, mm. when, where you get rejections and rejections, and it's not about you, it's on them. And it's their loss, not yours. And you continue your journey and you have to have courage To be a part of this road that has no ending and no beginning. James Earl Jones once told me, who's my mentor, the business does not invite you in and it does not cry for you when you go out. Careers are made of what you choose to do and what you, as well as what you choose to turn down. And it all sort of revolves around this circle. And it depends on where you're standing in the circle when the rotation comes your way. And you have to understand that. And it helps you with clarity on, on that circle and who you are and the elements around you. And it's some spiritual and mystical wow. stuff. But I I, wow. I believe in being centered as a, as a human um, in the spirit that is me and not the flesh that is my identification. So it's, um, it's it's it did a great balancing job for me in terms of of um, focus, mm-hmm. clarity, drive. Not as much ambition, but where you're destined to go if you control your destiny. So it it, it kind of helps you captain the ship, if you will. Sure. And we all need help and guidance and that book did that to me early on.
0: Wow. Wow, that's that that sounds extraordinary. I'd never heard of it I, and I will add it to my list because it Okay. Yes. <laughs> well thank you. Thank you for that. Because that is very welcome, inspiring. Welcome. Okay, what about uh, an album? What about it? it an album? Make? Yeah.
1: Woo. Ah. That's tough. Well, you know, I'm I'm from music. My my dad was mm. Um, um, inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame in 2014. B.B. Uh, King and Howling Wolf were my godfathers. Um, so I'm, I'm from, I call myself, my brother and I, Blues Royalty. Um, it would probably be one of my dad's album, although he did the arrangement for uh, uh, the Howling Wolf, Eric Clapton album when they went to London, um, wow. uh, to record it. So it, it would probably be something in blues, but, um, my, my pops had an album or has an album, uh, out, it's an old album called, uh, sweet home Chicago and blues for the West side. And he had a, a, a hit called Hey man. Hey man. Your wife's been cheating on us. <laughs> I used to think she was a woman that we both could trust, and so it would be, <laughs> it would be, it would be something in that genre. Although I, I might take my brother's album, um, uh, "Ass Whoopin." Uh, he's a uh, he's the best guitarist in the world right now, uh, Eddie Vanshaw. Right. So I, I, I might take something of his, but it would be something that would um revolve around blues. Right. And um and that whole genre.
0: Right, right,
1: right. And and Sam Cook's my cousin too, so that you know, that whole thing.
0: Uh, I am sure we can do a big compilation. Mixed. Yeah. We'll just do yeah. a big mixtape of albums. Big mix things. Yeah. 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 I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's kinda hard to be to oh, be yeah. narrowed down into one spot with oh, everything. Yeah you know, the way it is uh, in the world uh, with different moods from one day to the next. Oh, yes. One day you feel like hearing this, one day you feel like hearing that. And they say, can you just take one? And if you take that one with you, suppose it's the day that you didn't feel like hearing that. <laughs> it's, but if, if, you know, if you say, can you take this now? Well, right now, this second, it would be this. Yeah. But if I got to take it somewhere and tomorrow, it, it might be a different You know, it might resonate differently with me. Yeah, Yeah. of course. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. What about uh, favorite food or drink? Oh, I'm really kind of easy with um, food person because I'm allergic to shellfish. And people go, oh, you don't eat lobster? And I say, no, you don't know what you're missing. (laughs) A trip to the hospital. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I I, I like, I love Italian food. Um, I have a place in Rome. And I, I love Roma. Uh, and they have uh, uh, a Roman dish with a chicken polo Roma that, that I really like. Uh, and the the and riso, the rice and fish dish that Angelo prepares for me at his restaurant. Uh, my friend Luciano has a restaurant called Macaroni. So if you're ever in Rome, go to Macaroni's in um, okay. Piazza Navona and tell my partner Luciano that I sent you there. Oh, wow. Um, They actually have my name on a dish that I like. Because in Rome, they bring you different plates. You go Mm. to eat with about 10 people, and it's usually at 10 o'clock at night for dinner. And you eat one portion, and they bring you another. It's not like America, where you have all the things on one plate at one time. They bring you different dishes and different dishes. And um, and I'm not a wine drinker, but uno bottiglia champagne. I drink a bottle of champagne. Right. Um, And uh, I I asked him to put some bow tie pasta with the spices on it and cut up chicken and do this here and put a different kind of pasta here and put that and some um, biscotti with different nuts on it. And I got it and I mixed it all up and everybody watched me and said, that looks kind of good. Let me try that. And they actually put that dish on his menu. So it's um, cool. That, yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've always wanted to go to go to Rome. My husband has been
1: to Rome, and like, yeah, is like Rome is fantastic. It's it's actually where we filmed Daylight which uh, Stallone. Oh, oh really? They did. Yeah, they did right. the entire. Uh, we never filmed it in New York. They did the entire tunnel. They built it at Shinshita, oh. and um, the whole tunnel and the water and explosion was at Shinshita. It's the biggest studio in the world, and it's phenomenal to to do that film there and to watch, you know, the magic happens there. But uh, I I love the Italian people, and they really like me. I didn't know I was that well-known before walking into Rome and walking down the street and cars stopping and people running out of stores and restaurants and uh, Valentinos and and different things. Scusi, scusi, the police. I'll tell you this story really quickly when I got off the plane in Rome, um, I think I was the only black guy there. And it was like 200 people going through customs. And I'm standing in the custom line. That was before the attack on America at, uh, you know, September 11th. Mm. And so, but Rome, they had, um, I think, four policemen with MP5 machine guns. And they each had German shepherds. And they were all gathered like right across from me, staring at me. Now you got all these white people in line, but they're staring at me. So, uh, and I'm in the dark again. So so uh, I got frustrated with them and they more and more started coming over and they were whispering, staring at me. And I said, uh, I don't have drugs. You know, I, I don't have drugs. And they started walking towards me slowly. And in my mind, I went, what the fuck did I say that for? I went, uh, and they said, scusi. And I said, oh, I thought you were looking at me because you thought I'm carrying drugs. I don't have drugs. And I, and then one of the guys said, scusi, el grande americano actor, see? And I went, uh, see? And he went, mamma mia. And they pulled me out of the line, took me into this annex where the police captain was. And he had his head down writing something, he said, he a Cantano, A grand American actor is Sean, Stancio. And, and uh, he says, he's to baria, uh, constellone he Constelloni. And he said, constellone and he looked up at me and he went, mamma mia, Shaw.' They call me Stano. They're, Stano! And I'm shocked that these people know me, but I'm happy that it's not because of drugs. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. I'm like elated. I'm like I don't do drugs. I don't have drugs. I'm not going to jail. They like me. And he said, "Get Senor Shaw's luggage and take him out to his and meet his car." And they got my luggage and they put me in the car. And as we're driving away, I look through the window and these four cops with machine guns and German shepherds are doing this. Ciao, ciao. And I'm going. Oh, I'm gonna love Rome. <laughs> That's my first <laughs> time in Rome. I love this place. And my friend, Francesco Palazzi, um, I went to dinner with him at a restaurant. And again, the police came. Well, it was packed on this cobblestone street in Piazza Navona. And this police officer came by, looked at me and did this. And I looked at Francesco and I said, what, what would I do? And he said, I, I would go check. And he went to talk to the police and I'm like freaking out. And uh, he comes back and he says, "I never see this in the in, in my life. I, I don't know. This this doesn't happen." I said, what, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" Oh, he comes to me uh, and he uh, he wants to know if uh, if Mr. Shaw is okay. And I said, "What? He wants to know if you're okay." And I said, "Why? He's sitting there. He's going to stay there to make sure that you're okay." And I said, "Oh, I love this place. I want to live here. So I have an apartment there in Rome." Wow. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> Piazza di Baburini, yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I really enjoy the people there. They are terrific people. Yeah, yeah. I lo- love the Italians. We uh,
0: before pandemic and so I went to
1: Venice. I love Venice. It's just
0: yeah, yeah, extraordinary. Yeah, they're
1: just these eleganti, They're just elegant, elegant people. I really love them. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Stan, this has been extraordinary, um, fascinating, very inspiring, and and just so enjoyable. Thank you very much indeed, sir. Thank you for
1: having me. I appreciate you, and um, um, thank you for sharing your time with me. I appreciate it. My best to everyone across the pond. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed.
0: My thanks again to Stan Shaw. I really loved those stories, particularly the one of the meeting with Henry Fonda. And if you want to check out his Instagram page, I have put a link in the show notes. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another guest from the world of horror, thriller and suspense. And in the meantime, thank you for watching or listening and stay safe and well. The Chattering Hour, hosted by Nicholas Vince, is produced by Chris Rowe Management and Teatime Productions. Producer Chris Rowe, composer Kevin MacLeod, copyright Tea Time Productions.